0: Good morning, everybody. My name's Paul. Um, Now, last week, if you were listening last week, if you remember from last week, Rob told a story about his new watch and that it checks his heart and all of that. And I sat there quite excited at this because I, too, have a watch that does all of that kind of stuff and gives more data than I will ever need. But I, too, have a wife who also, just as Rob's wife, very quickly became fed up with the constant narration of my physical condition. I was narrating, and still do sometimes, my physical condition based on the data I had. Strangely, my wife doesn't want to know about my resting heart rate last night, 50 for those who are interested, or that my body battery is fully charged and I'm ready to go. Or that today it's only about 70%. So that cleaning, I need to rest actually, I shouldn't be doing that. It's far too energetic for today. It's useful data. However, we're not talking about the physical condition of my heart today, or our hearts, but the spiritual condition. Last week, Rob kicked off a new series on David, who is referred to as a man after God's own heart man whose heart is like God's. And Rob also showed us that Saul, who was king, was removed from God's favour and rejected as king in the end because of the state of his heart. And today, as we look again at David, we're going to see how it all started for David, how he was chosen as king and why, and what that has to do with us. So let's turn to the Bible. Always a good place to turn. Let's look at 1 Samuel. It's in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel comes before 2 Samuel. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. I'm going to read that. I'm going to read it from the ESV version. Um, Yeah, let's read that now. 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 to 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I've rejected him from being king over Israel? Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, "Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of the oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Just before this took place in Samuel 15, Samuel tells Saul that, um, that Samuel tells Saul that God saw what had been done to, that Amalek had done to Israel. And he wanted Saul to put it right by destroying the Amalekites. Not only the people, but all the livestock and everything, so there was nothing left. However, when Saul won the battle, he kept some of the livestock for himself and then lied to Samuel about it. He's gone against the specific instructions of God that came to him through Samuel. So Samuel tells Saul, God has rejected you from being king. Not only that, but Samuel says in verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 28, and Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbour of yours who is better than you. That must have stung. So we come in that context to chapter 16 and we see how the next king is being chosen. Samuel was God's prophet. He anointed Saul in the first place as king, and now he was choosing a successor. And God directs him to where he should go. Now, Samuel was nervous about going to find this successor, just in case Saul heard what he was doing. Not necessarily that he heard that he was going to find a successor, but Saul might have had an inkling about that. But just the fact that Samuel was back around, because Samuel had just prophesied, the kingdom's being torn from you. So God gives Samuel a strategy. It's a really interesting strategy. He says, well, actually go and say that you're going to make a sacrifice. Now do the sacrifice so that you're truthful, but just don't tell them the other bit. So Samuel doesn't lie when he comes to the elders of the city who are trembling because they're thinking there's problems here. He doesn't lie. He is going to make a sacrifice, but he only gives them half the information. There's a nervousness about what is going on. God is on the move, he's turning things, he's changing things, he's doing something. When Samuel arrives, he assures the elders of the city, I'm not here to stir up trouble, I'm just here to make a sacrifice to God. He's a powerful figure in the Israelite community. People know he's God's man, so he carries a huge influence. Also invited to the sacrifice, as we can see from Verse 1 is, is Jesse, the Bethlehemite, and Jesse has eight sons who are also all invited to the sacrifice. Because Samuel knows, although no one else knows, that one of these is going to be chosen. It looks like, as the story is written, that nobody else knows this, that only Samuel knows what's going on here. Other people may have an idea, but nobody knows. And in verse 6, we see the start of this process of choosing the next king of Israel. And Jesse brings his sons to Samuel one by one. The first son is Eliab. And he obviously looks the part because Samuel looks at him and says, surely this is the one. He's probably the firstborn because he's brought out first by his father. He looks as though, it sounds as though he's tall and commanding in appearance because that's what it says. But God says to Samuel, don't look at the outside. Don't look at those physical attributes because those are not the things that I'm looking for. And so he's rejected for the position. Verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. Good news for some of us. Because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So Eliab is gone. So Jesse calls the rest of his sons, one after the other, to stand before Samuel. And each time, God says, no, this is not the one. Seven sons have passed before Samuel. None of them are chosen. So Samuel says, well, is is that it? Have you got any more sons? To which Jesse replies, oh, uh, yeah, there is one more. He's out in the fields. He's keeping sheep. The final son hadn't even been invited to the sacrifice. He wasn't thought of. He was the youngest. He wasn't even, It didn't even enter his father's head to go and get him and bring him to the sacrifice. Now, tending sheep was an important job. But this youngest son obviously wasn't held in particularly high esteem by his family. So when Samuel, the important man, the prophet, said, bring your sons, his final son wasn't even thought about. He obviously didn't look as impressive as his brother's. He obviously wasn't thought of as worth enough to meet Samuel. But Samuel says, no, we are not sitting down. We're not continuing. So when, when something was complete, people sat down. That's why when the Bible talks about Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, it's because it's complete. We will not sit until this is done and you've brought this son to me so we see verse 12, they sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Now notice this comment here on what David looked like. He wasn't a total physical write off. <laughs> but we already know that was not the criteria. And he obviously didn't look as impressive as his brothers. But that's not the criteria by which God was choosing. we found God's choice for the king. As I say, Samuel hadn't told them that's what they were being anointed for, but we'd found him. In verse 13, the first mention of David's name here. Verse 13, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. It was actually, and I'll refer to this again later, it was actually 15 years then, roughly 10 to 15 years, between the anointing for the position and David actually becoming king. And that will be important in a few moments. So what about us? What is this appointing of a king all that time ago, all those miles away? What's that got to do with us? What encouragement can we take from this? Well. Just like last week, this is all about the heart. Firstly, David is chosen by God for the job of king. At this point, David has done nothing to deserve being king. He hasn't trained for it. He doesn't look like a king. Even his own family don't pay him any regard. But God sees him, chooses him and puts everything in place for him. Does that ring any bells? You know, if you know Jesus, you are chosen. It's no accident that you're in God's family, just like David was chosen. You've done nothing, again, just like David. You've done nothing and and can do nothing to be in that position. God chose you, not because of anything you've done, not because you're great. You probably are, but it wasn't that reason but by his grace and through what Jesus has done on the cross and the fact that the tomb, Jesus' tomb, is empty because he defeated death, rose again. Because of that, God has been able to choose you to be part of his family. It's precious, isn't it, to be chosen? Precious. God picked you out to be a part of his family. John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus says this. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. We're chosen to bear fruit. David was chosen to be king. There was a purpose for David. There's a purpose for you. There's a lot of stuff written and talked about at the moment, and I've seen a lot of it, about something called imposter syndrome. I'm sure you've heard of that. It's that feeling when you're in a situation, maybe work or somewhere else, that you shouldn't be there. You're not qualified for it. You're not good enough for it. In the kingdom of God, there are no imposters. There's no imposter syndrome in the kingdom of God. You may feel like you're a bit out of place in God's family. Well let me tell you you're not. God chose you to be a part of it. God called you to be there. You're no imposter. You're chosen and you're called. David wasn't the natural choice for Samuel to make in terms of picking him out. It wasn't about what he looked like or even his innate talents. It was about what God could do with him. It's the same for you and me. Because as God said to Samuel and God says now, he looks, on the out, not, on, he looks not on the outside but on the heart. God does things from the inside out, and he's picked you for that. Now, that doesn't mean you're the finished article yet. I know I'm not. You see, we're chosen first, and then God does the work. Like I said before, the time between David being chosen and anointed by Samuel and becoming king was probably around about 15 years. In between time, he had some testing, some training. So he went to serve Saul, who tried to kill him, 1 Samuel 19. He fights Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. And then, knowing Saul was still trying to kill him, and knowing he was going to be king one day, in 1 Samuel 24, David had the opportunity to kill Saul, and actually spares his life. God's training him. God's changing him. God's working on his heart. He was training him to be king. He was training him for his calling. You see, when David was called, he wasn't quite ready. His character needed to be formed. His inward life needed to be developed. This was not necessarily about developing skills, although that was probably a part of it. It was about developing his heart. God was forming in David a heart that was God-focused, a character that was God-focused. You see, God chooses us and then wants from us a teachable heart, a soft heart, as Rob explained last week. Not a huge raft of skills and talents. You don't need to look the part because that's not what it's about. Are we, are you, am I, Willing to be trained by God for our calling? Are we willing to submit to the trials and the lessons that come our way in order for this training to take place? This kind of message is not one that's heard outside of the church, I don't think. This age of social media, reality TV. I think I know what that is, although I don't watch it. But in that, looks and image is the ticket to success. What I'm saying now is totally countercultural. In some ways, these days, it's easier to transform your outward appearance, whether it's permanent changes or just using some filters on some certain apps. You can change the outward appearance very easily to present an image. You can build an image online that has nothing to do with the real you, I think there's huge pressure on young people, particularly. In my day, it was just about which group at school you fit in with. Now, image is a global business. What an it's just what a what a difficult place to navigate for our young people, trying to be relevant, trying to fit in and not not stand out in the wrong way. It's hard. God looks on your heart. God works on your heart. And I have to say, here at Jubilee, we have lots of young people who are very impressive, who have got good hearts. You've seen one of them this morning. It's just wonderful to see that we have young people who say, no, I'm I'm God-focused. I've got a heart for God. God works on your heart because that is what ultimately matters. So we've seen some parallels here between us and between uh, between us and David in that he was chosen and we've been chosen, but it was not because of anything we've done. God wanted to work on His heart just like He does on ours. And that it's not to do with appearance or any set of impressive skills. I mean, that's good news, isn't it? That's good news. I think that's good. I definitely think that's good news. But one last parallel to tie all this together. God called David to be king. What has he called you to? Now, let me give you a starter. Because there's one thing I can guarantee he's called all of us to. Actually, a couple of things. Firstly, we're all called to go and make disciples. God has called you to that. As part of you being chosen and called is to go and make disciples. And it's amazing how much God changes us and works in us as we reach out to those who don't know Jesus. Do You know, I'm convinced that the best way to learn and grow and be stretched and for your heart to be changed is on the front line, reaching out to those who don't know him. We can sit in our little groups and there's nothing wrong with meeting with other Christians and discipling one another and growing one another. But actually, getting out and speaking to those who aren't Christians, it grows us, it challenges us. It confirms what we know about Jesus in our hearts. So that's the first one. We're called to make disciples. The second thing is that wherever you are right now, is where God has called you to be. Now, that's a really difficult thing for me to say at the moment for our family because of job situations and things like that. It's difficult for me to say, God has called me to be where I am right now. But it's the only conclusion I can come to. Because if I'm not where God wants me right now, I'm either rebelling or God's not in control of everything. The only logical conclusion I can come to is that I am where God wants me to be. Now, if someone else was saying that to me right now, I wouldn't really like it. But I It's the only position that's consistent with Scripture and God's character. Which means that if the position you're in right now is a painful situation, then God is changing your heart. God is teaching you. He's working from the inside out in order that you'll have a heart and a character just like him. That's not easy. It's not an easy thing to say. It's not an easy thing to hear. Didn't want to say it, (laughs) but it's true. So we're called to make disciples, and we're called to where God has got us right now. But if, like David, you feel that God has called you to something something that's not yet happened, then remember this. It took around 15 years or so, as I've already said, of God working on David before he stepped into his kingly calling. What is God doing in you now that's preparing you for what he's got for you next? Because all too often we're desperate for the next, we're desperate for the big thing, we're desperate for what God has called us to, And what we fail to see sometimes is that God has got us where we are right now to teach us because we're not ready for that. That's been the story of my life. I can't, couldn't be standing here now talking to you like this without the painful things God has done in my life. I couldn't. God has taken me through things to get me ready for what's next. God is doing that for many of you right now. What is God doing in you that's preparing you for what's next? Don't rush on and try and get to what's next before God has got you ready for it. Because it won't work. It won't work. I've tried. It doesn't work. (laughs) I want to save you the heartache of that, believe me. But don't lose heart. If your vision or your calling goes beyond where you are today, God is using where you are today to get you to where he wants you to be. Now, the problem I normally have, and the problem I've got right now, is I don't really understand at the time what God is doing. It's only with hindsight. It's only as I look back and go, oh, that's what he was doing. You don't see it at the time. We have to have faith. We have to trust that God knows what he's doing. Again, hard for me to say right now. Because I don't know what comes next for me. I don't know where God's calling me to next. I just know he's getting me ready for something. But I don't know what it is. I just need to trust him. And it can be frustrating. Because you go, but surely God, I learnt this lesson 20 years ago. Ten years ago, five years ago, a year ago, whatever it might be. God is doing something in you, in me. It's taking us on, taking us forward. I look back and I see how far God has brought me. And like I spoke on, the last time I spoke, in fact, I talked about you know, how how God... Um, brings you from one thing to the next. You look at what God has done in you and how far he's brought you for what's next. I'm just learning deeper levels of trust in God all the time. But they're not easy things to learn. It's time to draw things together. David was a man after God's own heart. He was chosen. Because he looked the part, but because God chose him. Because he knew he could do something in him. Can you, can I, can we be described as a people after God's own heart? who you have a heart like God's? We have that opportunity. We've been chosen. We've been called. It's up to us, it's up to you, up to me, how we respond to that calling. How we, to, how we submit to what God wants. How is your heart positioned before God this morning? Is it accepting of the call and ready to grow and to move forward? Is, is your heart accepting of where you are right now? And are you ready and willing and open to be changed by God as he moves you into more of what he has for you? you know i want to i want to pray for a few categories of people this morning you'll notice that as at the beginning of that passage or rather in that passage where when samuel anoints david remember it's a long time before he's king but he anoints him and what happens the spirit of god rushes on david from that moment forward and i want to pray for people, that the Spirit of God rushes upon you now and is with you for what goes forward. That anointing of David was significant. God anoints us for things. What that means is he gives us his Spirit for things. The Holy Spirit, he journeys with us. He, he comes upon us and he lives with us, giving us what we need to go forward. So I want to pray for those of you who are frustrated with where you are right now. That's me. Okay. Those of us who are frustrated with where they are right now, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for a willingness to be changed. And I want to pray for what comes next. And I'm going to pray that the Spirit of God just rushes on you. So you're equipped to go forward. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for choosing us. I thank you that you didn't look on the outward appearance, but that you looked on the inside and you chose us. God, I know that I and The rest of us have done nothing to deserve your choosing, but you chose us anyway. And we want to start by saying thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for choosing me. It might be that some of you this morning need to just say thank you to God for choosing you. Say thank you to him now. Say thank you, thank you for choosing me to be part of your family. Thank you. And then, God, for those who are frustrated with where they are right now, frustrated with their situation, for those who don't understand why they're going through what they're going through, I pray, Holy Spirit, you will rush on them now and anoint them for what's coming next. Anoint them for the situation they're in. Holy Spirit, just rush upon them now. Rush upon us now. And give us a faith for the future. Faith. That what you're doing in us now, even though we don't understand it, is in your hands and you've got something good for us. Rush upon us now. Father, as we position ourselves right before you, our hearts before you. I pray that you will bring upon us a willingness to be changed, a willingness to submit to the situation. And be taught by you through it. Be changed by you, I pray for soft hearts to be teachable by you, to be taught by you, and father, this is my this is my prayer is that you will give us just a glimpse of what 's coming next, help us in our faith for what comes next, give us a glimpse of where you 're leading us, so that we can just continue on with hearts before you, being changed by you, being called by you, being anointed by you, to be people who bear fruit. It's what you've called us to, to bear fruit. Father, for new disciples, for new things, for growth in your kingdom, anoint us. Come upon us and help us change. In Jesus' name, amen.